If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us and all future generations as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Both those were New Living Translation version. Welcome back to my podcast, From Heaven to Eternity. I'm Brian, and today I want to focus on the need for gospel centrality and gospel clarity. This podcast aims to study the Bible. I want to walk through scripture or biblical topics in a way that puts Jesus and God's word front and center. Over the past six months or so, throughout this whole quarantine thing, I've tried to consume a lot of different resources. In addition to the resources provided by the church I'm a member of, I've streamed sermons from a wide variety of other churches. I've listened to biblical podcasts, I've read evangelical articles, and I've followed Christian institutions on social media. One thing has become apparent to me throughout all of this. We, as Christians in America, have become dangerously close to leaving the gospel of Jesus Christ behind us. I have thoughts and discussions with people about topics, and it's always, hey, why don't you do a podcast on this? Or why don't you focus on that? Or take on this subject or that topic? And I feel like in this environment, in this year, with everything swirling around us, a pandemic, an election, economic questions, social justice questions, fears, anxieties, confusion, misinformation, and just everything, that the more I hear from church people, the more I feel that the church has lost its focus on what is of first importance. So what is of first importance? Well, quite frankly, I feel we aren't taking the time out to focus on the gospel. We, as a church body in America, are not doing a good job of making that central to our message. And we're not making that central to our conversations. And we're not making that central to our relationships with other people, Christians or not. And most importantly, I feel that too many Christians are failing to make the gospel central to our relationship with God. If we are being honest, this is a really scary notion. It's scary for the health of church buildings and church bodies. It's scary for ourselves and for the people who we share pews with Sunday mornings, but it's also scary for the people who have never heard the gospel. 
If we don't make the gospel central when we as Christians gather together in churches and small groups, then how are we equipping believers to make the gospel central when we scatter back to our jobs and our neighborhoods and our schools? Before I move forward any further, I want to be clear. This episode is not an accusation against any specific people, places, or institutions. In fact, I know some leaders personally and some teachers personally that are gospel-saturated and doing great jobs. This is merely a reflection on what I have heard from American Christians collectively over the past six-plus months, and then it's a warning to myself and to other Christians of where we must go moving forward. This message applies to all of my listeners. If you're already a Christian, then I pray we can transform our teachings and our conversations to focus on that which is of first importance. If you're not a Christian, maybe this is the first time you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, or that the gospel is what drives every aspect of your weird Christian friend's life. Either way, and whatever camp you're coming from, this podcast is an open invitation to hold me accountable to ensure Christ is central in my teachings, and then to hold the teachings of others accountable also. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-4, through ESV Translation. So, if we're going to have a conversation about the need for the gospel to be central and clear in our lives, I believe I have to start with what the gospel is. Two quick reference ways I've heard to cover this is by using four words. God, man, Christ, and response. Or, using four different words, creation, fall, reconciliation, and consummation. I've heard Matt Chandler call these two approaches the gospel on the ground and the gospel in the air. But, in its essence, the gospel is that God is the founder and creator of everything. He is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is love, he is perfect, he is just, he is holy, and everything created exists to glorify him. Man was created by God in his own image. In the beginning, we existed in community with God in the garden, but at the fall, man sinned against God. The consequence of that sin was being expelled from the presence of God. The only way to return to that presence would be to perfectly fulfill God's law and then to be perfectly obedient to God. If that sounds like an impossible task, it's because it is. Adam and Eve couldn't do it, and nobody born of a woman since has ever or will ever live a life of perfect obedience to God, except for one man. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life. He is fully God and fully man. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death. Jesus is the only person to walk this earth who did not deserve to die, because he is the only person to walk this earth who did not sin. Yet he was arrested and crucified, dying on a cross while bearing our sins, so that through faith in him we are seen by God the Father as righteous. And as if that wasn't amazing news enough, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, could not stay dead. So on the third day, he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he defeated death, his followers also achieve a spiritual resurrection from the dead, the gracious gift of everlasting life. 
Jesus will return again in glory one day, ushering in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem and the new garden. His followers will exist in his presence forever, experiencing an eternity of worship and fellowship with God. To boil it all down, God is our perfect creator. We are imperfect sinners who can only be fully reconciled to God the Father through the blood of God the Son, Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross for us. This reconciliation can only be received when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then one day, Christ will return to fully consummate that relationship. Romans 5 verses 8 and 9 say, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That was the ESV translation. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. That's CSB translation. And then John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. NIV translation. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, ESV translation. We need to reorient our message. I hear Christians today talk about revival, how God is going to raise up a revival among believers and grow our ranks, and that maybe current circumstances are going to be the catalyst for that revival. I wholeheartedly agree that God can and often does use extraordinary circumstances to do miraculous works for his own glory. But I also know that God has given us a job of sharing the message of Christ crucified here on the ground. If we just pray for revival but fail to proclaim the gospel, we're falling short as the body of Christ. If we deviate from the gospel, if we assume the gospel, if we jump past the gospel, then we fall short of our mission as the church. We fall short of our mission as disciples of Jesus. We fall short of our own ability to grow. We fall short of our own community, and we fall short of the great commission that Jesus has given to us. God could easily write the gospel in the sky or on the hearts of everyone on this planet. He could miraculously transform everybody in their sleep to become a follower of Jesus. But that's not how God has chosen to operate, and it's not what he teaches us to assume. God uses men instilled with the Holy Spirit to go out and speak the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It's Romans 10 verses 13 through 15 in the NIV. The emphasis isn't on preaching a good message or just proclaiming a good word or about good conversations that are merely religious. No, the emphasis is on the proclamation of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. We need to get back to this. We need to focus on this. The book of Acts is about the spread of the church from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, and that church focuses not just on works of God and what people are supposed to do, 
but on the need for men to proclaim God's message, the good news of Jesus Christ. The CSB translation of verses found in chapter 9 of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth says, I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2-5, through 5, ESV translation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just foundational, it's everything. Jesus' finished work on the cross is the reason Christians as the church body can hope to glorify God through all the other things that we do. Two quick quotes from Pastor J.D. Greer. The first is that the gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. It is to be the source from which everything flows. And the second quote from him is, The gospel is not just the diving board off which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. I think we need to be honest with ourselves. If the sermons spoken on Sunday mornings don't include the gospel and who Jesus is, then it's not a Christian sermon. If a message we hear or that we teach ourselves throughout the week could be spoken in a Jewish synagogue or Muslim mosque, then it's not a Christian message. It's a spiritual TED Talk, maybe wrapped in a biblical candy shell. We need to be reminded by our leaders that we can never assume the gospel. As leaders and disciple-makers ourselves, we need to be reminded that we don't ever graduate past the gospel. It is the primary source of our nourishment. When we seek to consume or proclaim a quick and easy message, when we find solace in jumping past the meal prep and we just want to enjoy a drive through meal, what we are actually feeding ourselves is the church equivalent of fast food. It's ready-made and it's full of calories, but it lacks any nutritional value. Too often in today's church, the gospel is assumed in its message. And I'm not just saying in sermons from the pulpit. I see this in our small groups, in the devotionals we focus on, in the scripture we share and the conversations we have. When we assume the gospel is known by the hearers of our message, we have a tendency to focus on peripheral behaviors and peripheral steps. Five reasons to join this, 10 ways to cast off that, 15 things you can do to be better here, 25 ways we can get more involved there. We have to fight that tendency. We have to reintroduce a steady diet of gospel nutrition to detox from our natural desires. To instill those healthy habits, we should strive to share the gospel in all of our gatherings. What does gospel centrality and gospel clarity mean in both our corporate worship and our daily life? Within our worship services on Sunday, it means attending a gospel-centered church. J.D. Greer has three specific answers to the question, what does a gospel-centered church look like? First, in a gospel-centered church, preaching the message of the gospel is the priority. Second, in a gospel-centered church, the emphasis of the message is more on what Christ has done than on what we are to do. Third, in a gospel-centered church, the members demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in the community. Now, 
Obviously, us keeping the gospel central and clear does not just stop at the end of our corporate worship and our personal studies. Living a gospel-saturated life spills over into our relationships and our communities, and it creates an attitude where we can echo Paul's statement to the church at Thessalonica. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8, the NIV translation. That verse has been written on a lot of my notebooks. It has been the primary verse I've gone to when I've tried to start small groups and when I want a reminder of what I mean to do in small groups. To share not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. John Piper says our aim like Paul's is to save people from the wrath of God and to win them for eternal life. And in loving people like this, we prove the reality of our own faith, and we confirm our participation in the gospel. To keep with the theme of pulling from people who are smarter than me, the BD Annie Wiley has a message titled, What Would Confidence in the Gospel Look Like? In this message, he outlines a few things that we would do if we had conversations and teachings focused on gospel confidence. His message was specifically for Christian leaders, but the principles apply to all Christians. I'll pick just three from the list. We would share the gospel slowly and clearly. We would endeavor to preach the gospel in every message. And we will study the gospel in deeper ways. So, do we aim to share the gospel slowly and clearly? When we attend services or small groups, do we hope the gospel is preached within every lesson? Beyond that, do we actually hear the gospel specifically taught at all? Then the last application question, do we focus on pointing all of our scripture readings and our personal Bible studies back to Jesus? These are hard questions that we need to measure ourselves against. The command to Christians to speak the gospel to others, by the way, is not exclusive to conversations with non-Christians. The gospel is not just the mechanism through which we are saved. It is also the mechanism through which followers of Jesus are continually grown and matured. Tim Keller says Christians need the gospel as much as non-Christians do. And J.D. Greer proclaims growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel. It's going deeper into the gospel. What would tempt us to focus on something other than Jesus when teaching, preaching, or witnessing to others? Well, for starters, I think that people want to pridefully look more religious, more Christian, more Christian than others, and often that comes by focusing on outward appearances. What makes me look like a good Christian? Living by biblical standards is good, but outward behavior modification is not gospel-centered. I also think that sometimes we want to elevate our status by elevating our intellect. If I speak in ways that make it look like I have a PhD in Bible nerd, then maybe people will think that I am this good Christian, you know, biblically focused. Being saturated in God's word is great, but having head knowledge and eloquent words are not gospel-centered. Lastly, I think that we model what we've been shown. When we're taught things that aren't gospel-saturated, then we pick up those same traits. When we are shown that discipleship looks like X, then that is the discipleship we show toward others. Sometimes churches and mentors want to focus on the things that grow numbers in the church or that get people emotionally invested. And that, over time, leads to straying from a gospel focus. A strong and growing church community is awesome. 
but increased attendance and emotional persuasion are not gospel-centered. There's a good quote from Jonathan Edwards here that has some truth to it. He says, Our external delights, our earthly pleasures, our ambition, our reputation, and our human relationships, for all these things, our desires are eager, our appetites strong, our love warm and affectionate. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive, deeply impressed, easily moved, much concerned, and greatly engaged. We are depressed at our losses and are excited and joyful about any worldly success or prosperity. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel, how heavy and hard our hearts are, we can sit and hear of the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God in Christ Jesus, of his giving his infinitely dear son, and yet sit there, cold and unmoved. If we are going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are. I'll end this episode here. If we call ourselves Christians, then we all need to be more moved by what Jesus has accomplished and by who he is. Because look, in the end it falls on all Christians, not just a few professional ones, to make the gospel central to our lives and clear in our conversations. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 say, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, if you're not already, you'll subscribe to the podcast and follow From Hevel to Eternity on Facebook. I tried to call out all the different Bible translations I used in this podcast, but I was kind of all over the place, so hopefully I kept up with it. Until next time, I love y'all.